Spread your weed, everyone. It's the Woodworking Morning Show. Good morning, everybody. Happy Halloween. Is it? Tomorrow. Not yet. But it's... It would be the Halloween edition of this show. Yes. Because this is the only one we're doing. And I have my Halloween. Oh, look at you. <laughs> I've got my Mickey Mouse Club jacket on, so there's that. Yay. All it's right. It's the morning show. Yeah, it's the morning show. I'm Mark. And I'm Nicole. And we're going to talk about woodworking oh, today. I don't have a mic on. Oh, Nicole. You're such an amateur. Right there. Nobody hears me. What have you been doing? Oh, they hear you plenty. Oh. You're fine. So, uh, you might have noticed there's no names on the title screen today. Uh, it's, it's been a busy morning. Yeah. One of those busy mornings, I didn't have time to uh, do the thank yous. But if you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash woodwhisperer. And also, if you're on YouTube, pretty much on a desktop version, you'll see a little join button there if you want to just become part of the little membership crew, get mm -hmm. your little avatars and Ooh. stickers and fun stuff like that. Uh, we always love. appreciate I the I support. Just, I gave the chat room some love. There you go. And uh, and I think we, uh, we'll get those names caught yes. up next week. Yeah. Next okay? week, we'll get them caught up and... Uh, yeah. So you want to sure. know why uh, you want to know why we're late this morning? Because Nicole comes up with brilliant ideas for things to do hey, before I'm the morning show. I'm making memories. I'm making memories. This okay? is how uh, Nicole and Mateo went to school this morning. <laughs> so of course I had to be the the a hole there with the camera filming the whole thing. I was really disappointed that traffic wasn't there. I wanted like, like there oh, to be traffic stopped, yeah, yeah. like watching you guys waiting for the oh, two they penguins. watched us walk the whole way. I got a lot of honks, a lot yeah. of waves. I couldn't get. I was actually going to take the costume off because it it's really hot when the sun is beating down on vinyl. <laughs> so I'm like I'm sweaty. I'm like I got to get this thing off, and uh, I tried multiple times and I couldn't find the zipper. <laughs> So I just walked home oh, and, well, and waved at everybody. Kevin Windsor wants to know, who's the hot blonde? Look, it's gray. It's not blonde. I just want to be clear about that. <laughs> oh, Nightbot. Settle down. Okay. I got Showbot, thanks to Preston, working again. Oh, good. It was my fault last time. So. Oh, nice job, Nicole. Okay, yeah. a couple quick announcements. Let's get these out of the way. T-shirts. Yeah. T-shirts are still on pre-order, but you have two more days. October 31st is the last day to get the uh, your orders in. And uh, we have the four of them there. Wood Whisperer, The Guild, The Morning Show that we're doing right now, and uh, Wood Talk, twwstore.com. Get those orders in. Uh, we also have, hold on, whoops, wrong. So I'm such an amateur, <laughs> making fun of you. Uh, we also, of course, have the taper maker. Uh, the plans are going out for that uh, yeah, those and the hardware kits. Paper makers are going out fast. <clears throat> Selling like hotcakes. So hot what cakes. happens when they sell out? Then we have to order more. Okay. So that's the that's the trick, though. I don't want to carry tons of inventory, so I have to be careful mm -hmm. on when to place that uh, reorder. But yeah. it takes a long time. Because I'm watching the pile just go. Doot, 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 doot. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, that's all at twwstore.com if you're interested in that good stuff. There you go. All right. And okay. yes, if you are a guild member, you have to create another login in tww. Someone says the clock is wrong. They're right. Oh yeah. It says Thursday morning. What? Well, I take it off, and then sometimes it falls. And I think I may have jolted it a little yeah. too much. So what are you going to do? Uh, the other thing Sorry. is we will have a video out today. It's going to be a quick one. It's a CNC sign that I made for Mateo for his birthday. Uh, fun little project. That'll be released as soon as we get done with the show today. 
Let's get to some questions, Nicole. Oh, <clears throat> all right. I'll right. be taking uh, questions from the YouTube chat, and Mark will be taking questions uh, preloaded from Patreon. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yoso wants to know. He says, as you could probably guess by now, I'm building the miter, stall, miter saw station uh, based on yours. So, did you ever add upper cabinets to the miter saw station? Yoso, have you seen any of my videos lately <laughs> for the last two years? Uh, <laughs> there are upper cabinets. They are not part of the miter saw station per se. A lot of people will build a miter saw station and then they kind of, you know, have a back to it and that has upper cabinets. It's not exactly what I did. I have a miter saw station and then I have upper cabinets and they're not really associated with one another. They're just in the same space. Uh, and after doing the miter saw station and doing these, uh, the quick high quality cabinet plan on this side, I had enough cabinet making at that point and I had done those projects one right after the other. I've only got so much cabinet making in me and at that point I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do RTA cabinets. I went to a company called Cabinach and I had one, two, three boxes uh, made up and spent money to get those done. Uh, put those on the wall and then I just put plywood doors on the front and voila, upper cabinets. Boom, baby. Boom, baby. I, I, uh, I toned down. <laughs> Oh, Carrie Strand is here. Hi, Carrie. Hey, Carrie. She said, love your jacket, Nicole. Happy Halloween, Carrie. Oh, thanks for tuning in. That's very nice. Did you say tooting in? To tuning. Tuning. Sometimes you're tooting in. Um, i got to tell you that. I'm always tooting. Okay, Greg Roberts wants to know, my table saw needs some cleaning on the inside of the saw. I just wanted to know what grease oil lube should I use on the gears and um, that move the saw blade up and down. It's full of dust, needs work. Thanks so much. Okay, so I think there's two schools of thought here. Some people like to lube it up with some kind of grease. The problem with that is what you're discovering now is all that table saw dust gets kind of churned up in there and it gets caught in that grease. It's like a magnet uh, for dust. So uh, a lot of people will get that crap out of there and clean it up as best you can and use a solvent and a toothbrush or something, get it out of the gears and then use a dry lube. Uh, some kind of dry lubricant on there will maybe not be as smooth and perfect as a grease would be, but it stays working longer, right? It, because the dust just kind of hits a dry lube and falls right off. So that's my recommendation. Not everybody wants to do that, but I think longevity wise and just, um, you know, having to clean this thing periodically, you're going to be a lot happier with the dry lube than with something that is a dust magnet. Uh, Scott Reichinger <clears throat> wants to know if you missed the video on that cool end table with all the fingers. No, you haven't missed anything. Nope, guys, here's the thing. I can't publish content as fast as other people do. Yeah. I'm always amazed. I think when, when some of these people who do what we do have inter like in-house editors, they can move a little bit faster, but we, we have someone who does help us We're with editing, uh, but we can still only go so fast. So when you see something in social media, that's you like can, a behind-the-scenes look. Yeah, you can usually <laughs> count on weeks and, in some cases, months before you see yeah. it. The exception being this sign I made for Mateo. That's true. His birthday was just a couple days ago, and it was a CNC project. I filmed a bunch of stuff on my phone, yeah. and that is how I made well, that it's video. it's like a two-minute video. And that's coming out today, and it's like a two-and-a-half-minute video. Give me credit for that extra 30 seconds, please. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I just can't move that fast. I wish I could. Uh, I got a question here from Dennis. Uh, nor sorry, Dennis. Uh, what's the best way to clean rust off a new bandsaw blade? Clean cleaning garage and found these buried away for 20, 20 years. Oh boy. Rust on a bandsaw blade, 20 years. <laughs> Go. Uh, that's tricky. I mean, it depends on the extent of the rust. It, you know, sometimes bandsaw blades, 
that have been sitting with rust on them for 20 years mm. are good for one thing, and that's filling the garbage can. I was going to say, would they be pitted? It depends on how bad that rust is. I would be a little bit nervous. If it's just the surface rust, you know, bandsaw blades are kind of a pain to clean, and sometimes just friction is enough to scrape rust off of a bandsaw blade. So you might even just put it into the bandsaw and run some scrap wood through it. See if it breaks. <laughs> but it's only if it, if it looks like it is in good, yeah. solid condition, like it's not going to be a safety hazard. What are some of the things that takes off rust that Renaissance... Uh, no, that's, well, there's prevent. All, there's that's prevent. Evapo rust. Um, there's... BioShield. Um, BioShield. <laughs> There's a bunch of rust removal products and things you can get into, but I think when it comes to just the average standard bandsaw blade, you really have to decide how much work is worth restoring a bandsaw blade because it might even be dull in the first place. It would have just set aside after being used. So you really just got to think about whether it's worth your time and okay. effort. Okay, here's the problem, Tommaso. When you say something in the chat, I never know if you're being sarcastic or real. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, evapo rust? Is that a real thing? Yeah, I said okay. that. Oh, okay. I, say, I said those exact words, Nicole. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a real product. It just yeah, it sounds rust. like a, a SNL product. It evaporates rust, Nicole. <laughs> Hence the term evaporust. Oh man. Can somebody uh can somebody help Larry? He seems lost. Well, you know, Larry, every Friday we do a live show where this guy is yakking. Yakking. It's called the morning show. Yep. Uh here's the great thing about it. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. Yeah, you can just if you want, we could send people to your house. Yeah. Tie your butt in a chair, uh, tape your eyelids open, and force Kinda you to like, watch this. Uh, you know, what's that movie? If that's what you're into. <laughs> what's the movie where they peel his eyes back? I don't know, but that sounds gross. Uh, Clockwork Orange? Yes, that's I've, it. You know what? I've never seen it, but I've heard that reference. Um, so I if anybody wants it. to go Clockwork Orange on, on Larry, <laughs> go for it. It's okay, Larry. Uh, but yeah, Larry, all the other videos yeah. are about woodworking. Yep. So There's like 400. I guarantee... There's plenty. All you got to do is look when you turn this thing on. Let's see. Okay. Let's um, click the little button that says the wood whisper. Yeah, where, where am I going here? I don't know, but I'll, I'll do a question. You want me to do a question? Uh, nope. I got one right here. I got to get through mine. Tony Tang. Tony Tang. Double T, Tony Tang, says, My spiral flush trim bits always end up covered in blackish stuff, which I think causes burning in the wood. Those bits that cause burning still feel like they're as sharp as the new ones, so I can only assume that this black stuff is that it was what causes the burning issue. Is my assumption correct? And do you have any tips for removing the black covering? So the black stuff is just kind of like a pitch that gets built up over time. You've got heat, you've got wood, you've got, you know, potential resins or oils in the wood. That stuff leads to this coating getting on there. And this happens to any blades that we use in the shop. As soon as you start to see it, it's best to remove it. Because if you don't, that stuff does dull the blade. It will stop it from cutting efficiently, which slows the bit down or slows your, your um, feed rate down. That's where the friction builds up even more. You get more heat, and then you get to the point where you like you, you get that bluing that can happen where the heat builds up so much that the bit just is shot at that point. So keeping on top of it is key. And there are lots of things that you could buy. There are specific pitch and resin removers that you could purchase for that. You can also just use Simple Green. Um, a lot of times I'll take my bits when it's time to clean them, soak them in a little Dixie cup or a... Um, you know, just a little April piece cup. of Tupperware, uh, you know, soak it in that stuff for just a couple a of hours. Just a piece of Tupperware? Just a piece of Tupperware? Just a piece of Tupperware? Just one, Nicole. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
And then soak <laughs> it there, let it work on it for a while, and then just get a brush or something and, and get that crap off of there. Uh, and then put a little bit of dry lubrication on it. Um, you just want to keep after it. If you don't, it, it will eventually cause the blade to heat up or the, the bit to heat up so much that it, it can be beyond recovery at that point. Uh, Patrick, Patrick Bink has a question, did a super chat, said, uh, I'm making a glue up cutting board with live edge boards on the sides. How do I clamp it without ruining the live edge? Someone in the chat room has already replied to him. Well, talking about I don't really do that. Um, no. I, I would have to think about doing something soft. Uh, a lot of times when I have an edge that is irregular, not live edge, but you know something that's somewhat irregular. Straps, large rubber bands. Yeah, you could use straps, you could use rubber bands, like a bicycle tube. Um, you can also just use like an old t-shirt. Uh, if you take an old t-shirt and wrap it around that edge so there's a nice amount of cushion there, you could bring a clamp in and just kind of get enough clamping pressure to get that joint closed. Um, it's really about all I have to suggest there. That's about all I have to say about okay, that. Okay, so Mike Davies, I put these in order because it's kind of similar to the, uh, Tony's question. How He says, how often do you take your table saw blade off and give it a cleaning? Uh, I know... Keeping it clean will keep it sharp longer, but how do you know that it needs a scrub? I feel like I'm pushing harder than I used to. Is it past due every couple of months, whether it needs it or not? Anything like this really depends on what you're cutting and how much you're cutting, right? So I can't give you a time frame. That depends on your shop. Um, when you start to feel things fighting you a little bit more, well, there's a good time to look at the blade. If you look at the blade and you see a little coating right behind the teeth, usually, it's funny because it actually reminds <laughs> you of like a dental plaque. Um, so right behind the tooth, you might see a little buildup of material. Uh, anytime that's sitting there, that could potentially cause problems, right? And, and start to lead to the blade dulling a little bit faster, lead to you pushing harder. Uh, and remember, the dull blade is the, the most dangerous blade. Keep these things sharp. So um, just like the, the router bit, you want to keep on top of it whenever you start to see it developing. Um, that might be, I'm not that good. Uh, like, I mean, good in the sense of diligent. Uh, I don't clean as soon as I see some stuff. But if I start to feel some resistance, I'm certainly going to clean those blades. So. Hey, I forgot to mention, back in March, April, um, a little thing happened. You know, the whole world kind of shut down. Sure. And we gave out some guild scholarships to um, teachers that were thrust into online learning. Mm -hmm. I never had a chance, I got so busy, I never had a chance to recognize all the guild scholarship recipients and all of the wonderful donors. So I wrote a post on the Wood Whisperer, and I know a lot of you donated to it um, and were interested in, in that. Uh, so I'm going to put the link in the chat room for anybody that's interested. We we do a, a guild scholarship every year. So this year was devoted to teachers teaching online and students. So next year I'll do this again, and it'll be opened up to everyone. Cool. So, there you go. If you want to learn more about our guild scholarship. So we do give a lot of scholarships away. Excellent. There. I'm sorry. I I have my own thought. Uh, well, I, that's, I needed to let it go. That's just kind of how we do things, Nicole. <laughs> Aaron Jensen. Had a question. What's the best way? This is an interesting question. What's the best way to clean up a jigsaw after carving pumpkins with it? Oh. We got carried away at the pumpkin patch. I had to go into production mode. Seriously, though, how do you go about cleaning a really grody power tool, whether it's drywall dust or pine sap or pumpkin guts? Funny part, sending this on a Thursday before I do the deed, knowing I'll be listening on Saturday while I'm cleaning up a pumpkin crime scene. Uh, what about that goo-goo-goo-gone? Goo-goo-gone. 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 Here's, here's the thing about goo-gone. 
Does that crap really work? It works. Anytime I have like, I buy a picture frame and there's like a sticker on the picture frame yeah. and the gooey stuff is left. I just put some of that. Goo it must on be it. only the really wimpy, sticky stuff because yeah. anytime I have used Goo Gone to remove maybe like packing tape yeah. uh, adhesive, I pulled packing tape off and it right. left some like anything with a little bit of. Um, I'm going to say balls, Nicole. Okay. Any any adhesive with some balls. That Goo Gone is a joke. I like I, I I use it. That's I'm gonna why take our bottle. I bought it. I'm gonna throw it no, away. No, I use it. I'm gonna put it in back your, off my Google. I'm gonna put it in your bathroom cabinet. Okay? I don't need it in my bathroom cabinet. I need it under the kitchen cabinet where I know it's at. Uh, I don't know. It just it never works for me. Well, then, maybe it's user error. Hey, maybe just move along, and do something else. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> you don't support me at all anymore. <laughs> How the heck do we clean pumpkin guts off of a power tool? Uh, I mean, look, pumpkin guts does not need. A solvent. Yeah, just water, right? I would just go with a damp rag and try and get all the schmutz out of it. Um, look for um, look for bits that go into like the vents and things like that. That's where you're going to get in trouble. Is if a little bit of food uh, food matter gets caught in there and that stuff just starts to go rotten, uh, that's going to be pretty gross. Anything that's obviously sealed and covered, just a damp rag is going to be enough to to clean that up. Um, but man, I'd just be worried about. Um, the guts getting into the parts that are very difficult to clean. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I mean, I don't really have any great advice for cleaning. You know, just clean it. <laughs> Do the best you can. And if it starts <laughs> to stink. Dawn. Some Dawn, maybe. I guess. But, you know, you got to be careful with how much liquid yeah. gets on this thing, right? That's what I'm saying. Like a uh, damp rag. Yeah. Not actually, like, not you know water. what? Throw it in a dishwasher. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> don't, don't do, do that. that. <laughs> I got a couple of super chats that I missed uh, when we first started the show. Yeah. Uh, dyslexic dog says, hola, Spags. Oh, hola, nice. dyslexic dog. Okay. And then Robert Price said, you're a silverish fox. Don't let anybody tell you different. You are a silver fox. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm glad to, to be in that club. <laughs> I'm just happy I've got hair on my head. Um, okay. Kim's question. <laughs> Kim Erickson says, I'm just finishing making an outdoor lounge. They'll sit on a covered veranda. How nice. She has a covered oh, veranda, Nicole. Nice. I wouldn't mind sitting on a covered veranda, enjoying a coffee mm. in the morning, on a nice brisk morning. I'm almost out of coffee. We need to go get more. It's clad in hardwood decking. I'm thinking of finishing it with a standard outdoor oil, outdoor furniture oil. Is there something better that you would suggest? Considering this a replacement for a, uh, this is a replacement for a leather lounge that was disemboweled by an anxious puppy. You know, we know that feeling. We have an anxious puppy. She's not a puppy. She's actually old. But if she's left alone, oh, she destroyed. she will tear the crap out of something. Whatever is I in her I just put path. her in the laundry room by herself that yeah. one day for it's maybe a- 10 minutes. Chewing on the rug. And I had one of those little plastic, I don't know, it's like a foam rug. And mm-hmm. she just ripped it to shreds. Yep. What? <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Anyway, I think you're fine with an outdoor finishing oil. Um, that's made for regular furniture is, I mean, it's, it's a piece of furniture. It's in a covered area. Uh, the oil is something you're probably going to have to reapply periodically. Uh, but over time, as I've done more and more outdoor projects, I've, I've definitely fallen on the side of the argument that believes that any kind of film finish outside, maybe with the exception of like real paint, um, any film finish is going to fail eventually and fail dramatically. So I am more in favor of uh, penetrating oils that uh, absorb as deep as it'll go, and then you reapply maybe one, two, three. Every couple of years, you reapply it to refresh it. Um, that's really, I think, the best way to treat outdoor furniture. Uh, and that's all I have for my questions. Oh, that was all your questions. Well, I got yep. lots. Uh, David takes said, ma- uh, 
something remover from Citrus King. Mastic remover it's from Citrus King. It's Goo Gone on steroids. Why, does, why do we need to put Goo Gone on steroids? Because Goo Gone <laughs> is wimpy and it needs to muscle up a little uh, bit, Nicole. All right, well, there, go get your majestic, majestic I'm telling you, I got a new grill and the lid had packing tape mm -hmm. that had gone a little bit too far onto the stainless steel. So I pulled the packing uh -huh. tape off and the residue, there's a strip, six inch long strip of, of residue, and that Goo Gone was sitting on top of it and could not do anything. Uh. It did nothing. Mm. It smelled good, mm. so it's got that going for it, but that was it. Uh, that's really nice. Made my five-year-old, oh, this is from Brandon, made my five-year-old daughter the jewelry box that you did a video on a while back for her birthday and she absolutely loved it. Thanks Aww. for the video, sir. Well, that's great, Brandon. I love it. I it's so it awesome. I, I'm in the process. I'm still counting all the desks, and I love the kids sitting yeah. at their desks. So yep. I'll do my final. I think I'm going to do my final donation for Woodworkers Fighting Cancer. We're already past our goal, which is awesome, but I'm going to put the final donation in today and then put yeah. a bow on it. Cool. <laughs> Tim uh, says we're, uh, we can kiss that Google on sponsorship goodbye. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> uh, Brian Walrich says, with cooler temperatures coming, or cooler weather to company coming, yep. uh, do I need to worry about storing my finishes, glues, etc. outside in my unheated garage? Yes. I can answer that. Yes. <laughs> I remember you storing yours in the basement when we lived in uh, Arizona. Even. Yeah, even in Arizona where it's not yeah. getting nearly as cold in the winter. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff you really do not want to freeze. Mm -hmm. Some of it, I mean, it's going to be product specific. Some of it might tolerate it a little bit better uh, than other stuff, but... Ultimately, the real cold temperatures, freezing temperatures, anything water-based you're going to have problems with, your glues are going to be problematic. Um, so yes, if you have, um, you know, most of us have enough that you could probably fill a couple of boxes uh, with these things. But it's not a bad idea to put those in a cardboard box, bring them in if you've got a laundry room or a back closet somewhere. Just bring them in someplace inside as long as they're all safely sealed. Uh, bring them in and let them live inside because, like they say for, for pets, Nicole, if, uh, if you're cold... They're cold. That's true. So, <laughs> uh, you see any questions you want? I like it when you throw questions up on there. So I have questions that if you can't okay. find a question, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter, yeah. so it's hard chatter, to find. Chatter. Uh, we already answered that one. Dennis says, "What's the best way to clean rust off a new bandsaw blade?" Oh, I already answered question. Sorry. Okay, I got one here from Mark Chapelsky. Do you bother working through the grits with the spindle sander? I do not, Mark. Um, most of the time, kind of like my drum sander, these are things that are a pain in the butt to change the grit on, but I could still get lots of functionality out of it with just one grit. So usually on my drum sander, uh, well, let's talk about the spindle sander specifically. Um, if I have like 150 grit on there, maybe even 120, I'm happy with that. And usually it's just an edge, right? So I'm gonna probably do something else to that edge to finish sand it. And maybe I'm gonna do a routing pattern on it or something afterwards. Uh, so it will still get a little bit more finish sanding treatment after that point, but you're not gonna find me swapping out sleeves. I mean, the other thing is keeping extra sleeves around is kind of a pain in the butt too. So I have spares for when the ones I use go bad, then I put the new ones on, but I'm not keeping like a selection of grits around for that purpose. Plan D Woodworks has a question. Plan D. Plan D. So I made a cutting board from leftover scraps, but I made the mistake of having the grain in alternating directions at some points. Any recommendations for flattening and cleaning up tear out? Hmm. Well, flattening, regardless of grain direction, I mean, if you're using a power tool, it's not going to matter very much. Um, you're going to use the same methods for flattening, whether like it's a router jig or if you have power tools that can do it. Um, 
you know, for cleaning up the tear out, that's the whole thing with the tear out. You, you want to avoid it in the first place. Uh, this is one of the main reasons, not for cutting boards, but one of the main reasons I have a drum sander. I'm not recommending that. I know I realize it's an expensive tool and not everyone has a uh, budget or space for one, but that's one of the reasons why I have it because there are just some woods that no matter what you do, no matter how good your blades are, you wind up with uh, little pits in the surface, really highly figured woods. The only way I can get them surfaced effectively and realistically is with that drum sander, you know, so that's, that's why I have that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all the same things for any tear out situation. You got to have sharp blades. You got to know the grain direction. If you're using hand planes, um, if you have grain crisscrossing and you're using hand planes, well, good luck with that. It's really difficult to, if you have one board that's going up like this, the other board's going up like that. How do you cut across them and not actually, you know, tear out and go against the grain on the other board? That's really difficult to do. So power tools might be your your best uh, bet at that point. Uh, Scott Reichinger did a super chat on that follow-up about the end table. And he said, cool, thanks, looking forward to it whenever it comes out. So okay. people seem to really like that table. Oh, people loved it. Yeah. It was uh, a lot of people were really impressed with it. So yeah, uh, John had a really cool design idea. Uh, ben Bodner just did it. Ben, Dr. Ben Bodner, Esquire. Says happy Halloween. Hope you enjoy and suffer through a scary movie. I love scary movies. Well, let me rephrase that. Well, I, I think love he understands. Sort of scary movies. You enjoy it. I will suffer through it. <laughs> so I think Ben knows us very well. <laughs> you like? Well, I mean, nope. I'm Nicole. not really into like Freddy or Jason. I'm not into those scary movies. I'm into mm-hmm. like sort of scary hocus movie. pocus. Hocus pocus. <laughs> uh, Halloween, Halloween on Sesame Street. <laughs> sure, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, Plan D. He says, "Well, if I had, if I had that jet drum sander, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. If you had won it, uh, let's see. We got another question from Brandon Blankenship. I like his last name, Blankenship. Uh, one to ten, how dangerous is it to put a dado blade on my non-dado arbor and just tighten it down really tight? Sounds dangerous." It does sound dangerous. I'm not in a position to tell no. you one way or the other uh, in, in, a, in a means to sort of cover my butt and yours. I'm going to say don't do it. Don't do it. If it wasn't intended for a dado blade, that's a lot of extra weight to put on an arbor that wasn't intended for it. So I, I, I would have to say 100% my recommendation is do not do it unless this, this is something that you've done a lot of research on and you've seen other people do it successfully without any major problems. Even then, I'd still be hesitant because... The internet is the internet. Uh, but if it's not intended for it, I, I would avoid it. Tim JB is right. The Frighteners is a great <laughs> Halloween movie. Why do we not have that in our playlist? I love The I Frighteners. Because I don't care about the Halloween playlist. I love The Frighteners. Um, I'm going to recommend uh, this is a cartoon from Cartoon Network, but it's wonderful. It's playing on Hulu right now. It's called Over the Garden Wall. It's only 10 episodes. You can watch it with your kids. It's just a great Halloween cartoon. Mm-hmm. It I looks loved cute. It. I didn't I watch it all. It. Oh, I see you I watching it, but it looks. I'm cute. done. Yeah, it's. I'm done. It was like really quick. It's okay. wonderful. Uh, we got a question. You see another question? I'll, I'll... Yeah, sure. So Ron Comstock says I acquired a skill table saw. Should the fence be the same distance at the front of the blade as the back of the blade? I notice a difference at the rear of the blade, further from the blade. Uh, blade is parallel with the miter track. Well, it depends on who you ask, Ron. Some people like that, you know, the blade to be 100% parallel with the fence. Other people like to take the fence and do what yours is doing 
and send it out a couple of thousandths at the back. The idea being that if you do that, you have a little bit less chance of pinching, um, pinching at the back of the blade. So I will say you have to make that choice as to which one you want. What I do when I set my blade and my fence up is I try to get it straight and there's always a little bit of error, right? So sometimes you can just kind of err on the side of either a couple thou this way or a couple thou that way. And if I have that choice, I'm gonna go a couple thou away from the blade at the back. And that's going to, you know, leave you just a little bit of room at the, at the back to, that should hopefully pr help prevent kickback. And also it helps make a cleaner cut. Because what can happen sometimes is as you go through, if both sets of teeth, while the, the front teeth and the back, I mean, it's all the same teeth on one blade, but you know what I'm talking about. If you make contact at the front and you're rubbing at the back, you can get a lot of extra burning that way. So by kind of going out to an angle a little bit, you make sure that you're really only making full contact with the front set of teeth as the blades are going down instead of the back set of teeth as they're coming up. So I actually do think it's worth it to put a couple, like don't stress about it, but put a couple of thou um, even one thou away from the blade at the back. Hey, I just want to say thank you to Joshua 80. I'm guessing your name's Joshua. You, you leave out the vowels. Okay. It looks <laughs> for like being it. A, a YouTube member. He just signed up for the extras. Hey, thanks, man. Got to throw some extras up there. Glad to have you in the club. <laughs> no Dunkin' Donuts today. No, I was too busy walking like a penguin to school. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should have been walking with a Duncan in your hand. Uh, that would have been great. It was, I know, it was just really hard. I had to like hold my costume up so I could actually see. Yeah. It, was, it was a little challenging. Good stuff. But I did it for my kid. Uh, Charles McBride, I have a workbench that's, la that's laminated strips of plywood similar to Paul Sellers' design. Oy. What's the best way to finish plywood edges? Turn them into solid wood. <laughs> How about that? That was a really not helpful answer. Nope. Uh, you know, plywood edges, what's, what's, what's a plywood edge? It's a combination of face grain or edge grain and end grain, right? So it's always going to be kind of weird, kind of problematic. Kind of rough. Yeah, but I would pretty much finish it like I finish anything else. I would sand it nice and thoroughly, make sure it's, uh, you know, sanded nice and smooth and hit it with your finish. There's really not a whole lot else that you need to do with it. Um, if you're expect, I mean, it's a workbench, so how much effort are you putting into the finishing process? Um, the most thing that I would be concerned about with a bench like that are the very edges, right? Because now you've got that thin veneer on the outside edge. Um, maybe you've uh, lined it with solid wood and kind of framed it that way. I don't know the setup. But if you just have the plywood right out to the edge, you do have to watch that because you can get some nasty, nasty splinters if that veneer decides to split on you. So you want to make sure you get a nice round over or chamfer and then smooth that outside edge. But the rest of it, you know, it's it's not the, if you're looking at like a piece of furniture made out of this, it's a challenging thing to finish well because it's that combination of, of grains, right? But in the context of a workbench, just put a couple uh, coats of finish on it. You know, sand a little bit in between coats. You don't want it to be super smooth. You want a little grip on your workbench. So um, you shouldn't have too much trouble with that. Thank you, Neil Becker, for uh, becoming a YouTube member as well. Hey, Neil. Aww. He's been around for a long time. Yeah. I know Neil. Uh, got I mean, I know him in the context of online relationships, Nicole. <laughs> uh, how about Bully Man? There you go. He says, I'm. Oh, it's a little Yoda. Yep. Mandalorian is tonight. Is it? Right now, actually. It's funny. I see Yoda and I see a Scrabble game. It's, his name's Steve. With the name Steve. Yoda <laughs> Steve. Okay, I'm looking into investing in milling machines. How high should I prioritize a helical cutter over typical straight knife cutter? I know helical is better, but sometimes it's much more expensive. Well, you're right. It is more expensive. It is a much better way to cut wood. 
So I think if you're in this for the long haul and you're buying these tools now, if you can afford it, go for the helical heads. If if buying the helical means you're not going to be able to get into woodworking for a year because the budget isn't there, then just go to the used market, find a good straight knife, jointer, planer, whatever it is you're buying, and get started woodworking, right? Use that as long as you possibly can. And then later, when a little bit more budget is there, maybe there's a little more knowledge so you can make better tool buying decisions, uh, you'll be ready to sell that old stuff and upgrade. But I always think it's better to get a tool that gets the job done so that you could woodwork and start learning and start getting some sawdust under your, your fingernails, uh, do that first that would, that over getting work. the best machine possible, right? As long as it's small dust, it's yeah. fine. Uh, but if you, if you have the budget and you're, you're looking to get your you know, last tool uh, and not have to buy it again in the future, definitely go helical. Hey, Ray wants to know, he goes, maybe I didn't hear this, but how long will it be before the shirt ship after the sale ends? So the shirt, or the sale ends tomorrow um, and it's set, we got to get them printed. So we're estimating, you know, late November mm-hmm. for late November. And you'll get a notice. I promise. Yeah. We'll let you know. Uh, plenty of time for Christmas was the yeah, idea. Yeah. Uh, kind of a personal question here from Michael Donovan. Uh, have you ever used bush oil? It's pretty good, right? No, I haven't. Isn't bush oil the stuff that like, is that the stuff they use for like uh, a lot of times gun stocks? Right? Yes. It comes in, comes in a little bottle. Yeah, I think you're I've right. I've never used it, but for some reason I've got that locked into my brain. I think you're right. And I may not be right, but... It sounds right to that's me. That's what my brain is I grew telling up me. Around, I grew up around guns. You grew I up around bush oil? <laughs> bush oil. As far as the eye could see in Missouri. Look, hygiene just isn't their thing. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, Adam had a question that you just scrolled by. <laughs> okay. Uh, Guitar Fu you. Thank you for becoming a YouTube member. I don't see a question. <laughs> Stuck on the bush oil, Nicole. I know you are. I know you are. Get you uh, some of that, that sweet Missouri bush oil. Get out of here. <laughs> right here. There's a show title for you. Yeah, yeah bush oil. Ha, ha, ha. Ah, man. There it is. Okay. Did, Adam? Yep. He says, doing a glue up of mixed species to turn into a multicolor mallet. That sounds cool. Uh, what type on, of course, glue do you recommend for taking, um, on the turning forces? Any of them, man. Um, all of those glues are like thousands of pounds of pressure to pull them apart. So if you're doing a mixed species glue up and it's all long grain glue bonds and face grain and stuff like that, you got nothing to worry about. Uh, use whichever one suits you, (laughs) whichever one you have in the shop, I think is going to be perfectly fine. All right, let's go back to the bush oil because it's not what you think with gun oil. No. That is true oil. True oil. That's what I'm thinking Alan, of. Alan, Al, thanks yep. for that. Al is bush correct. oil. I just Googled it. It's an amazing thing, this thing called Google. Uh, it's a high solids finish, penetrates the wood and forms a durable grain defining finish with a rich luster. I'm, I'm on their website, aren't I? Yeah, that's marketing <laughs> BS, Nicole, is what that is. Uh, Premium raw materials allows you to apply more beautiful finish. Yeah, as with any finishing product, I would need to read the MSDS or the SDS. I would need to look deeper than the marketing top level language, Mm -hmm. which usually will uh, mislead you to some extent. Um, Ah, And I would actually have to use it to really know what it's all about. So someone in uh, FOG, Festival's owner group, asked Uh about it. And somebody kind of listed what was in it. It claims to be a mixture of boiled linseed oil, tongue oil, and 
urethane. Yeah. So okay. So then it's an oil varnish it's blend. It's not a polymerized tongue oil. Hmm. Okay. If that's correct, then it sounds like one of those classic oil varnish blends that wants to sell itself as a very like natural yeah, sort of finish, yeah, yeah. but it actually has some nastiness in it. I mean, nastiness by like VOCs and other solvents and things and uh, petroleum the, distillates. The MSDS shows linseed oil, uh, other oils, urethane yeah, varnish. Yeah, the urethane, the urethane content is the dead giveaway that it's an oil varnish blend, gotcha. uh, but it does look like a true oil varnish blend. Um, so this is going to be comparable, probably, in, in, in terms of application, comparable to something like Watco Danish oil, mm. which is also an oil varnish blend. So, Ba-da-ba. Okay, Gary Badger wants to know, how do you decide which finish, Osmo or Rubio, you oh, use on your yeah. projects? Well, I usually go with Rubio these days. I just find it easier to work with, uh, a little more predictable. Osmo can be applied in a more, there's more uh, different ways that you could apply Osmo. <laughs> Um, you can apply it like Rub- Rubio, where you spread it on the surface, you buff it out. You can actually leave more on the surface. You can't do that with Rubio. Uh, you can use a roller to apply Osmo. So you actually roll the finish on with a really tight nap roller and get what to me seems more like a film finish. I have that on our coffee table. And I think I use their top oil uh, on that. And it really does seem like it's got a satin matte um, not a urethane because it's not super like shiny like that and not super thick, but the wax layer is thick enough that it actually does appear, feel, and act like it's got a film on it. So I think if I'm going for something with, um, let's say where the person, this is not so much about durability, as the person I'm giving it to expects there to be more of a film-like finish on it, but they want something that's a little bit more natural, low VOC, I would go with Osmo. Um, but if I'm finishing it for myself these days, I'm just defaulting to Rubio for, for almost everything. Uh, thank you to, how do you say, how do you say, how do you say? Uh, how do you say? I'm like channeling Ava. Um, Sven? Sven. Hardrada. Hardrada. Sven Welcome Hardrada. to YouTube members. Thank you for joining. We're glad to have you. Uh, let's see. Thoughts. Did you already answer Robert's thoughts on using Rubio without part B? Um, you can all, according to their literature, all that does is make it take longer to cure. Mm. Uh, but I've seen what that part B does in the can. And I've seen what part A does in the can when left alone. Part B dries hard as a rock, like crystal rock candy. Like it's, it's impressive. So I don't know that it actually makes the finish any more durable, but judging from the way these two things behave, I want some of that B in the mixture if I can get it because I feel like that's adding some durability just based on my observations of the raw finishes themselves. So while you don't need to use it and it will take a little longer to cure, they say it's okay, I personally would want B in the mix. Mm, and, I, I, and I would love to know for sure, does it actually make it more durable? I don't know. But when something dries hard as a rock and I'm leaving that component out of my mix, I feel like I'm missing something. Ken wants to know, how often do you read the MS? Hardly ever. Really? Oh. Well, just reading? Well, like before you bring a new finish in or a new product in, do you look at the MSDS? You ruined my joke. Oh. <laughs> it's just not a good joke. That's the problem. <laughs> I will almost always read an MSDS before I purchase the finish. 
um, because the reason I'm buying it is typically for something specific. So for instance, if I wanted to help, can't remember the guy's name, but if I wanted to give someone a, a review on bush oil, yeah. I would need to know what it is. Even before I buy it, I would look for all the literature, know what it is, then get it in and kind of, you know, a lot of times just looking at the MSDS, I could tell you what it's going to do. I could tell you how it's going to look, uh, how durable it's going to be just based on the ingredients. Uh, but, you know, using it and actually getting it on a couple of projects, there's nothing better than that for real world experience to share with someone else. Mm-hmm. But I always read the MSDS so I know what I'm getting into. It's kind of interesting because it's like once you understand the components of a finish, mm-hmm. it's almost like cooking. You know, you know what could happen. When Ingredients you... are everything. Yeah. And the problem is that's the case for a lot of like traditional oil finishes or oil varnishes. The problem comes in with some of these newer finishes that everybody's mm-hmm. using, the Osmos, the Rubios. There's a lot of um, proprietary mystery surrounding their production, and it's a different thing. It's a lot harder, and I actually, I'm very interested in reading it. I heard that um, Bob Flexner, I believe, is doing an update to his finishing book. Oh, that's cool. classic finishing book uh, that I guess, I think I saw Megan Fitzpatrick post about this. Uh, that there's going to be updates on hard wax oils nice. in there. So if he has some like good inside information on the science and the chemistry behind these finishes, what makes them do what they do, uh, that would be great. But it's not as easy, at least for me, to look at those finishes yeah. and see what's going on. Definitely. So, if it was not easy for you, it wouldn't be easy for me. No. <laughs> uh, Charles McBride, I have a work... Oh, I already did this one. Never mind. Sorry, Charles. Okay, Yvette has a question. Yvette! What wood is best for making cutting boards for someone allergic to nuts of all species? I would say maple. Hmm. The classic cutting board wood is like hard maple, rock maple. It's pretty, let's use the word inert in the sense that it's not like reactive. It's not going to, uh, it should not trigger allergic reactions. Um, And it is a classic cutting board wood, nice and clean. Mm -hmm. They make baby toys out of these things. Teething rings are made out of maple and other woods, I guess. Uh, But I would say just without knowing what you have access to, most people can get maple. Go maple. Nothing wrong with a classic maple cutting board. Mm -hmm. Uh, NZ Print uh, told Yvette to try Bell Forest. Yes, Bell Forest also is a vendor discount. They partner with us. So if you are a guild member, I don't know if you are, Yvette, Mm -hmm. um, we have an additional discount in the guild too. Michael Fix. With Bell Forest. Michael Fix says... I'm a woodworker on a really tight budget. I've got a good amount of birch plywood, big box store type, and want to build a mallet to use with a chisel set that I bought. Do you think plywood would hold up? It would hold up in the sense of a chisel mallet, right? And unless you're maybe doing mortises with those chisels and you're really hammering down on it, you don't need a whole lot of pressure, you know, when you're doing stuff like that. If you're just tapping through to square up a mortise where you were just doing small paring operations and little little tippy taps, (coughs) whoa. Almost swallowed my tongue, Nicole. <laughs> um, oh, oh my God. Hold on. Hey. Oh, yeah. Hold oh, on. Hey. Oh. Um, this is a um, Narex yep. mallet that I, I beat the crap out of because this is the one that I hit my holdfasts with. All right, so this one is, you know, so- whoops, that's our alarm. This one is solid wood and it dents. Now, if I had a plywood mallet, it probably would have split at, at this point. That's really going to be one of your problems is if you're hitting it into the end grain, Um, you're going to wind up splitting those laminations at some point. But to go back to what I was saying, little tiny taps with a chisel, you're probably fine. So if you're on a budget and this is what you have, go ahead and make it. And guess what? If it does 
Split, if it does become problematic, it's a learning experience. You have a cool design for a new mallet that when you actually have the solid stock to make a better mallet out of you, you know exactly what you're going to do. But I say go for it. And that does it for our show, unless you have anything else. I do have one. I have a, I have two. Um, Darth Platitude had asked earlier, is there something I can coat chopsticks with that is non-toxic and so the grain doesn't raise? Oil. 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 What kind of oil? Just oil? Any kind of, uh, you know, uh, pure oil, or I would go polymerized oil. So polymerized tongue oil, polymerized linseed oil. Look at the tried and true brand of products. Uh, Their oils are all food safe. You can get some that have a little bit of wax in it. You could use their oils and add additional wax to it, which I would for chopsticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, add a, you could add carnauba or beeswax to the mix. What? Um, the, the sushi's going to slip off. No. It's so slippery. <laughs> well, the way we use chopsticks, they slip off anyway. So <laughs> unless you stab them. Uh, this, this is a stupid fork. Um, so, yeah, go go oil and wax, I, I think, on those. And, and that's a good way to, to maintain them, too. Shouldn't raise the grain. And if at some point... After a number of washings, they start to get to the point that they need a, a recoat. Super easy. Sand them real light. Apply some more of that finish, and they'll be good to go. And then finally, uh, uh, ends print co uh-huh. soaked bandsaw blade and distilled vinegar. It got go. super dark, but clean. Did I ruin it? Is the dark just a like chemical reaction? Because I think I've seen like that tint that happens. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if the, the only thing that the vinegar could do, like if it did something to damage it, it would be, you know, well, I'm thinking of a carbide tooth with Mm -hmm. the brazing that Mm -hmm. holds the carbide in Mm -hmm. place, though I don't know if vinegar reacts with any of that stuff. I think a simple color change is probably not a big deal, um, especially if we're just talking about household distilled vinegar, but I'm speaking out of my wheelhouse. I don't know uh, for sure. Chat room, you guys would vinegar causing discoloring on metal actually be a problem? Mm-hmm. My gut says no, Yeah, but I don't know for sure. And I don't, don't want to mis, uh, mislead anybody. Okay, right. so we have an after show. We do. We're going to continue go, this, and we're going to talk about Halloween. and We're going to refill our coffees. Yeah, yes, I need more coffee. And if you are $5 level on Patreon or a comparable level on uh, the YouTube, YouTube members yep. area, Nicole's going to put that link. Yep. And look, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. The after show, yeah. it's just a bunch of P.S., <laughs> we go off topic. You're not missing a whole lot. There's usually not a lot of woodworking talk at that time. So, hey, remember, TWWstore.com if you want to get those T-shirts. Keep mm-hmm. my mama busy. Yep. She's over there going, T-shirt sales have slowed down a little bit. And I'm like, all right, fine. We'll get you, we'll get you busy, mom. Relax. <laughs> so uh, Tim JB was saying that he would like a shirt that has our logo on the back. We've never done one on the back. People like that? People yeah. want a back logo? Yeah. I always wear jackets, so the back never gets seen. Yeah, that's uh, for true. me, for me. Yeah. But uh, well, I mean, anything's possible, yeah, right? We'll, we'll look into it. So happy Halloween! Stay safe, and uh, I guess we will see you next week, same time. Okay, we're gonna talk about what he's wearing for Halloween. What am I wearing for Halloween? <laughs> you don't know this? <laughs> nope. Okay. All right. See you guys. Bye. Have a good one. <laughs>